within range. I am thankful and honored to be with you again. Um, if you are able, I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word from Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is this man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all of my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we approach this psalm, one of the things that I think is striking about this psalm in particular um, is the structure. Often we find in the psalms kind of this um, hilly path of, okay, great is God, I'm in a low place, I believe that you're still God, but oh my goodness, I'm surrounded, praise Yahweh, everything will be fine. That's the kind of a common... Um, I just lost the word. When there's a map, or like the relief of kind of the journey. Um, and in this psalm, we have, we have this wrestling, this back and forth of um, the psalmist crying out to God and then addressing himself and uh, repeating uh, meditations of truths that he believes in God. And so I... Um, see this pattern of prayers and professions. And so if we look 
at the beginning, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. The psalmist positions himself before God in worship and prayer. I, I lift my soul to you. You are God. I am not. We immediately, I, am, I start like this before I say anything else. I put myself before you. I humble myself before you because you are Yahweh. To you, Yahweh, I lift my soul. God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. And then to himself, indeed, none who wait for you will be put to shame. So we have some layers here of what's going on. We have the psalmist humbling himself before Yahweh, humbling himself before God, crying out to the Lord in desperation. He is trusting in God. He is believing in God's promises. But in this moment, we have a very fearful psalmist. We have a psalmist who is pleading with the Lord, let me not be put to shame. I'm, I'm waiting on you. Um, if we look at verse 16, I am lonely and afflicted. I am fearful. I am um, surrounded by enemies. I am wondering when they will be put to shame. And we have this layer of kind of the ground floor is the psalmist situation of I'm in affliction, I feel alone, my enemies appear to be thriving, they have not yet been thwarted, yet I know that they should be, that they will be. I believe none who wait for you shall be put to shame. I believe that you are are my God. I believe that the ways of the Lord are good and upright and steadfast, and yet I'm alone. And so the psalmist is crying out. He has a, a few desires in this passage. Um, we see that he wants to know the way of God. There's this desire, lead me, verse 5, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. God is a God who leads the humble in what is right, who teaches the humble his way. We have the psalmist longing to know that way of God. Um, ringing in our ears ought to be Psalm 1. <laughs> Uh, that the w blessed is the man who walks in the way of the righteous, who knows the way of God. Um, he's longing to, to be that man, to know Yahweh, to know his paths, to be in his way, to be in the counsel of God. Um, the friendship of the Lord 
is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. In the midst of loneliness, in the midst of whatever particular struggle was the context of this psalm being written, it's applicable to any struggle. Um, crying out for loneliness to be dispelled. And the, the answer to that loneliness is nearness to God. But the psalmist knows that he doesn't quite deserve this nearness. He cries out for forgiveness of sins in verse 18. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. He sees that God is good. God is good and upright and perfect, and his ways are truth, his ways loving kindness and steadfast love, and he feels distant, and he knows that this distance is rooted in sin. And his professions show us that though he feels this distance and he knows why. He's, he's not wondering what has happened, right? There is no question of, oh God, I thought you were this way, and now I'm surprised. The psalmist knows, I am far from you because of my sin. I know your path is righteousness. Your path is truth. Your path is good. Your path is loving kindness, and you are faithful to the humble to bring the man who fears the Lord to that path. But I am alone because I am in sin. And one of the one of the commentaries that I read when I was preparing for this said if we have Psalm 1 in the back of our mind, that this is a psalm that, okay, once the Christian is on that path, once God has brought us to his way, but we're, we stumble on the path. This is, Psalm 25 is a prayer from the side of the path. <laughs> when, along the way, when the going gets a little bit tough and we need to be reminded that the way of the Lord is good and true and right, and he is faithful to bring the humble under his wing, to bring the humble to his path, his loving kindness, his uprightness, his mercy is eternal. That This, this is a prayer from the side of the road. <laughs> um, I want us to look at his professions. In verse 3, the psalmist proclaims, None who wait for you will be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. In verse 6, we have that the steadfast love and the mercy of the Lord have been from of old. In verse 8 through 10, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. 
He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Yahweh is good and merciful. The repeating mantra of profession, the psalmist reminding himself of what is true of God, is that God is good and that he is upright and that these attributes of God, this mercy, this love, this uprightness, this truth, are of old, are eternal, are from everlasting, and that this way is right. And that God's name, that God's goodness is at stake in those who trust God not being put to shame. If we look at verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth or of my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness. We have a psalmist who is in trouble and who feels distraught, and yet he believes the promises of God. He believes that the promises God has made to his people to preserve them, to be their God, to be a blessing to his people, to be near to them, to lead them in the way, um, our psalmist believes that that is true and is calls upon God to make that true. We say this type of prayer in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God's name is hallowed, whether we want it to be or not. But we join into his reality of who he is in our prayers of professing what he has revealed to be true of himself. And the psalmist is doing the same here. God, for your namesake, let those who wait on you not be put to shame. Do what you have promised to do. And this is one of those psalms where I think it's important for us to ask the question, is David, is the psalmist overly self-interested? Does, does it matter if David stays in suffering? Does it matter if some of the people of Israel continue to suffer? Why should God save them? Why should God not put to shame someone who is professing his own sin? Someone who says, yes, I have messed up. The sins of my youth are great. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. I am afflicted by my own sin. And he is deeply aware that the promises of Yahweh are that he will be preserved. If we consider the role of David, in the life of Israel and in the redemptive history 
of the story of God redeeming his people. David is someone who God has said, I will preserve you. You I have brought to be king of Israel. You I have decided to anoint, to be my representative, to caretake my people for this time. And through you, my throne will be everlasting for Israel. Your reign will be eternal over the people of Israel. And so when we have those moments, maybe I'm alone in this, but when we have those moments of reading the psalm and wondering, is it okay for one individual to demand this of God? Remember the pr- what the promises of God are that the psalmist is clinging to, that God will be their God, that the people of Israel will be God's people, that he will preserve his anointed one. And from the beginning of redemption, that God will send a Messiah. David um, is, in many ways, a messianic figure for Israel. He has been brought to reign over Israel. He has been given the word of God. And as the king of Israel goes, so goes the rest of the people. We learn that story throughout the Old Testament, that if the king is doing well and is honoring God and leading by good example, then Israel thrives, and there is goodness, and there is joy, and there is fruitfulness, and there is closeness to God, and worship abounds righteously. But if the king strays, Israel's decimated. And so David also has in his mind and in his heart the weight of this responsibility. He knows that he has been given this responsibility to lead well, to guide the people of Israel on the way of the Lord. And because of his sin, he sees that he, he cannot lead Israel in the way of the Lord on his own, that he is not the proper guide, that God is the guide. God is the one who must teach him the way, who must lead him to the proper way that is righteousness, that is goodness, that is mercy. And so... The next layer of this, then, is why does David, why does the psalmist believe that these things will be true? Why, in the midst of seeing enemies thrive, why, in the midst of feeling lonely and afflicted and feeling Like the wait is too long. Why does he believe that God will put his enemies to shame? And the answer um, 
is, is a doctrinal answer. And so, you know, bringing up the word doctrine in a sermon, you have to kind of tread lightly, but, but the answer truly is, if we look not only at Psalm 25, but all of scripture, that, that God is simple, and I will define this for you, but the doctrinal idea is that God is simple, that God is not composite, that God is not made up of many parts, but that every attribute of God, everything that scripture teaches us about who God is, that he is good, that he is just, that he is upright, that he is merciful, that he is those things perfectly, and that he is those things wholly. So there is no part of God that isn't good, because God is goodness. There is no part of God that isn't just, because God is just. There is no part of God that isn't merciful, because God is merciful. In our confession, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, the Westminster Divines worded it this way, that there is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible without body, parts, or passions. That God is not divisible. We profess this in um, the Nicene Creed as well, that Jesus is God of God, light of light, of one substance with the Father. And this reality, this, I, this understanding of God revealed in Scripture really undergirds the Christian faith. This is why the psalmist can say, no one shall be put to shame, because I know God is good all the time. Do we have any Baptists in here? God is good all the time. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, that because that is true, I have faith. Because I can believe that God has been merciful before, and he will be merciful again. Verse 6 does not say, Yahweh, remember that one time when you decided that you would have mercy on us? Could we do that again? Please? That's not what it says. It says, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. This is language that's not used of anything in Scripture except God himself. Your mercy is not new to you, to who you are. Mercy is new to me every morning, praise the Lord. But your goodness is not novel. Your goodness is not conditional. Your, the glory of your name is never in question because you are God. Your way is upright. With you is truth. With you is goodness. And that is good news. <laughs> that is good news for the psalmist that even 
that he can look past the ditch that he's in on the side of the road and say, I know with confidence that God is still good and that he will redeem me because God has promised to redeem me. I know that God will preserve his people, that his people who wait on him, who trust in him, who lift up their soul to Yahweh and worship will not be put to shame because we know who God is and because he does not waver from who he is. Because he is simple, not in simple-minded, not in any way, shape, or form less than us, but pure, but true, but holy and perfectly everything good and godly he is. And this is good news also because this means we can know God. Um, Adam talked with the young disciples about knowing that all of creation proclaims the glory of God. All of creation speaks to God's existence and to his glory, and scripture reveals to us more specifically, more specially, who God is. And because he is perfectly and wholly every aspect of his character, we can know that this is the same God that we worship today. He does not change. His goodness is from of old and will be forever. His mercy is from of old and will be forever. And this helps us make sense of some of the more mysterious works of God. Um, not to steal too much thunder from a few weeks from now, um, but we're all good Presbyterians. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Um, but the atonement makes more sense when we know God is just. He can never stop being just. And God is merciful. He can never stop being merciful. So Jesus had to die. Because God is just. There had to be a payment for our sin. David knows this. The psalmist knows my sin is in the way of me being on the path of God. And yet, Christian, you do not have to die for your sin because God is merciful. Because Jesus did. God did not have to stop being who he is to reconcile us to himself. God was able to make a beautiful way for the humble for those whom he chose to draw near himself without ceasing to be the just God that he is. And so, if we look back to Psalm 25, 
Um, part of David's desperation in this moment um, is this understanding that if this doesn't happen, if, if I am put to shame, if Israel is put to shame, if our enemies prevail, then God isn't God. And that's, you can see in his language of for the sake of your goodness and for the sake of your name. For your sake, pardon me. Because if I stay lost, you're not the God who we thought you were. You're not the God who you've said you are. And that fuels his righteous desperation. That this, I, I know this isn't true. I know that you are God. I know that you have redeemed me from worse. I have seen you preserve your people through trial and trial and affliction and conquering and evil, and yet you have preserved them, and so I know that you will, but oh God, do it. And he feels his weight. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but he, he feels his weight as the anointed one of Israel and leading God's people. He sees a responsibility that they hit. this is the way, following the Lord and his truth and his goodness and his righteousness, that he will be faithful to preserve us on, is where I should be walking, and that is where I should be leading the people, and I'm failing. I am lonely. I am afflicted. I am in sin. Yahweh will not fail. He can't and he won't, but I am. So God, preserve us, keep us, redeem us, and let us not be put to shame, for our hope is in you. My hope is not in myself. I recognize that I am failing at this, but I do know that you can make a way to this way that you have given us. If you would briefly turn with me to Romans 5. Verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through his Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We know 
even more than the psalmist did, that Yahweh does not fail his people, that Israel has not been put to shame, that God's people have not been put to shame. Christians, we are brought into peace with God by Christ. The counsel of friendship of Yahweh that comes with being brought into his way we are brought into through Christ. And because of that, though we see the psalmist able to endure suffering and able to pray through suffering and plead through suffering, we can rejoice. Because what David hoped for what Israel was longing to see happen, he did in Christ. David was not able to bring all of Israel into the way of God, but Jesus did and has. And so now in suffering, now when we feel that we can pray Psalm 25 wholeheartedly in our own sufferings, Christians, we can rejoice knowing even more confidently that God is good, that God is upright, that he is faithful to not let his people be put to shame, and that we can have all the more confidence that his work will be completed in the return of Christ. That though we do still suffer, that our, our union to Christ preserves us in the way through our suffering, through affliction, because God is good. God is upright. God will be faithful to the promises that he has made throughout all of scripture to be the God of his people, to be near to us, to draw us near to him, that those who wait on the Lord will not be put to shame. And because he is perfectly and wholly the attributes that scripture teaches us, his goodness, his justice, his mercy, his loving kindness, we can have confidence and we can rejoice even through suffering, knowing that we will not be put to shame. Let's pray. Lord, we lift up our souls to you. We rejoice that you have given us your word, that you have preserved for us such a rich testimony to who you are. God, we thank you and we celebrate in you that you are good, that your goodness and that your uprightness and that your loving kindness is of old. Lord, we pray that when we feel like we have 
fallen off the side of the road, that you would draw us back onto the road, that you would remind us, Lord, that we we didn't put ourselves on the road in the first place, God, and we don't we don't have the strength to do what is right, to do what is good, to follow you wholeheartedly without your guidance, without your goodness preserving us, keeping us, leading us. We thank you that you are not a God who confounds us. You are not a God who keeps us in the dark, Lord, but that it is your joy to reveal to us who you are, that we might know you, that we might trust you, that we might proclaim who you are, that we might love you all the more. And we pray that you would not let your people be put to shame. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.